It's Doc Jones. What'd you do to the hand, son? Three fractured knuckles. You hit somebody? Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we were just talking before the show <laughs> about how we haven't recorded in a while. Yeah. <laughs> we had a bit of an impromptu summer break. Um, so apologies for any, I don't know, any roughness as we get back into how we do the show, because it took me a minute to remember how to start. For the historians that'll be listening to this, this is uh, the summer of 2021. So Mm -hmm. it was when we thought the pandemic was coming to a close, just before it ramped back up again. So we just tried to get as much living in as possible, Mm. which is probably why the pandemic is ramping up again. All right. Let's not talk about that. Let's go on. <laughs> Let's go back to better days. Mm-hmm. Probably better days. And this one kind of feels like going way back because oh, yeah. it has been a minute since we've done a season one episode. And here we are at season one, episode 11, Caledonia. It's worth a fortune. <laughs> so this was this was your pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there... Um, so here's the thing. I'm going to ask you why. Uh, but I also want to point out that we are past our halfway point. So at this, we're running out of reasons why. Right. right. <laughs> like, I just want our listeners to understand that now we're just picking them up almost randomly. Um, or we could be. I, we're not necessarily. We could be. Like, right. Yeah. We're, I mean, it's it's a mix, uh, you know, depending on also uh, we do you know, take requests into account. But no, this Mm -hmm. one was, uh, I wanted to do a season one because it's been a while and there is a a chunk that we could do to get close to being done with season one, similar to how we recently finished season two. Uh, And this one seemed like a more fun romp end of of an episode, while the last one we did had an unexpected non-romp aspect to it. So I was like, this time... This time it will be fun. Um, (laughs) And also this one is directed by Stuart Margolin, which is a fun little detail. Angel himself behind the camera. Yeah. It feels very back to basics uh, in in a way because as this episode, the story credit is to John Thomas James, which is the the pen name of Roy Huggins series uh, co-creator. And uh, the teleplay is by Juanita Bartlett, so it's kind of an OG kind of mm-hmm. episode. It's a Roy Huggins joint, which we pretty much only see in the first season because he, you know, I mean, he, he retained the credit as the creator, but he did leave the active um, you know, production of production after the first season, I believe. I would have to double check. So uh, Angel has actually done quite a bit of directing. I'm <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry, Stuart Margolin. <laughs> Angel, I mean, Angel's done some directing too, I'm sure, but like... Uh, this is the first of two Rockford Files episodes that he directs. The other mm-hmm. one is Dirty Money Blacklight, which we haven't done yet. No, we did that one. Oh, we did? Uh, yeah, we did do Dirty Money Blacklight. I would have to look up the episode number, but it's the one where Rocky gets the mysterious money. Right. And, yeah, he gets the mysterious money in the mail, and it's like a, it's like a laundering operation. All right, so uh, good. So what we're doing here is we're, we're closing out our Stuart Margolin. The Stewart cycle. Yes. For the record, um, episode 39 of our show was Dirty Money Black Light back in September of 2018. Oh, no wonder I forgot. <laughs> That's the one with Electric Larry. That might ring a bell, the, the, uh, the Lone Shark. Right. Yes. All right. Yes. Anyhow. Sorry, you remembered something. Uh, I don't know if you've been on the Grams, the Instagrams, mm. 
Uh, I have. I've I've made a dedicated departure from Twitter for the most part, but I am still on the gram. Uh, because I I drew uh, Angel and Rockford as Muppets or as puppets <laughs> and put it on Instagram. As puppets, legally distinct from Muppets. Yes, yes. Uh, I think I missed that. Did you tag All me? Right. I can tag you. Tag you? How do you tag? <laughs> I guess I could just go to your profile and I'll No, no, no. There you go. Now, now I tagged you. It's the most recent one. Aha! Uh-huh. I see it. Right. Jim Jim Sockfelt Puppy Pi. Yes, <laughs> that uh, is one of the other settings for this comedy game. Mm. I thought would be kind of fun. Now I've discovered that drawing a sock puppet is very difficult. His his angelic friend is a bit of a uh, Grover kind of interpretation. Yeah, yeah. that he was so easy to draw. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's Angel. Yeah, it, I was stunned by it. Uh, and I remember when I drew it, I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Nathan about this. So that's that's what you, you're getting. What, okay, if you don't listen to Plus Expenses, what you're getting right now is a little Plus Expenses preview of the kind <laughs> of banter that we have on Plus Expenses, uh, which is only vaguely related to. Which may or may not convince you to want to listen to Plus Expenses. Right. All right, but importantly, Angel's not in this episode. Though there are some good goons. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can we can get uh, right into the preview montage. Um, oh, well, quickly before we do that, uh, I mm-hmm. think, did Stuart Marklin direct one of the movies as well? I guess that's just a look it up on IMDb question. Oh, yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. Mm. Which... We haven't done yet? I don't think so. I don't think we've done either of them because he also did Friends and Foul Play in 96. That might be the next one that we have to do. Oh, Rita Moreno's in it. Mm-hmm. I think that's our next one. And and a TV movie called How the West Was Fun, <laughs> which is a Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movie. What a storied career. Wow. I'd be willing to watch it. <laughs> Oh, what a time to be alive. Um, all right. Well, speaking of times to be alive, we should get into our preview <laughs> montage for this episode. Uh, <laughs> right. Which is uh, short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, the one bit that I wanted to point out was just this wonderful... You're honest, dependable, and an ex-con. That's what I need. Someone I can depend on. Right, right. And I don't actually remember that particular line showing up in the episode, but there's a very similar one that shows up in the episode. I remember thinking, was that that line? Right. I think it might have been, maybe they did multiple takes and just trimmed that out of a scene or something. And then uh, another, a few jokes that are going to happen, but also lots of violence and uh, very clearly pointing out that this is going to deal with, uh, I I actually expected more of Jim's background in prison to come up due to this montage but it, it's definitely dealing with ex-cons or cons right or current cons current cons <laughs> more more convicts than con men right yeah i have a note that's like lots of con background but that's mm-hmm. kind of mostly to tell us that jim knows how these people operate and it's not right. really about jim's specific background, background yeah but it's his background that got him the job right 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 I then have a note for, uh, uh, as we get into it, that the, again, because we haven't done a season one episode in so long, that real poppy keyboard in the intro music. 
the music is in- very interesting in this episode. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, there's a couple other instances that I noted of, of fun, fun music stuff. Lots of banjo showing up a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> we do like a good banjo. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash 200 a day. Thanks to you, we are a 100% listener-supported show. We extend special thanks to our Gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Chuck from WhatYou'reReading.com, Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color at FruitLoopsPod.com, Shane Liebling, check out his dice rolling app Roll for Your Party for all of your online gaming needs at RollForYour.Party. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at JayAdon.com, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, and Matthew Lee. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter. Brian Pereira, at Thermoware. Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88. And of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get Plus Expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. An episode of Plus Expenses comes out in advance of every episode of 200 a day. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. After the the fun season one era credits, we start our episode at Musgrove State Prison Hospital Facility in the ICU. Mm-hmm. Where we have our uh, our our main guest lead of the episode, um, whose name we will find out is Jolene, is coming in to visit her in the prison hospital husband Jerry, mm-hmm. who is very weak and can barely talk. But he 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 when she bends over him, he whispers to her, "Caledonia, California, worth a fortune." Mm-hmm. To re- to reinforce the import of this, there's a there's a cop in the background that's like. Hey, if he's saying anything, we need right. to hear it, right? Yeah. I assumed he was dying. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. he is, but not like right now. I was like, this is his like deathbed dying yeah. words, but he's, he doesn't die at this. I mean, he doesn't die. Spoilers, he does not die in this episode, I guess. Um, this is the only time we see him just to give this this message, but he's so weak that this is all right. he can say. And then the doctor makes his wife leave. The doctor who stands up to the cop as well. So it's very like... It, it puts on the scene an air of like, this is a medical emergency that we're dealing with right, here. Like, right. Uh, as we learn, his his heart is extremely weak and he needs some specialist surgery or something. That's kind of a, beside the point other than to establish the premise of our episode. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that as the title tells us, and it flashes up <laughs> over his face as we uh, get our, our intro credits, Caledonia, it's worth a fortune. Yeah. Um, we follow Jolene as she... Uh, goes back to her car. Her style choices in this episode are on point. <laughs> um, uh, this is a good visual episode. Yeah, I think I think that's why our listeners tune in. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> She's played by Shelley Fabers or Fabres. I don't know how to say her last name. Um, who was on a couple of uh, a couple of soap operas. Um, and all over TV in the 70s, mm-hmm. like so many of our guest stars, including an episode of The Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. I saw that. And yeah, was on Coach. 
I say that as a, this is a show that I remember was popular, but I don't know if people actually remember Coach. Remember Coach. <laughs> I remember it, but yeah, I, I feel the same about it. Um, but she was Christine Armstrong on Coach. Uh, anyhow, she's, you know, she's a very TV attractive mm-hmm. woman. <laughs> she's at the moment putting on, well, throughout the whole episode, she she um, is uh, the sort of fresh-faced, naive yeah, yeah. thing going, which is interesting because she's married to a convict and a grifter <laughs> and and like more of the story unfolds about what her situation is um but you never feel that this is a put on you feel that she is genuinely who she is oh yeah she's she's maybe not even naive she's a little naive but mm-hmm. she's kind of like she's kind of wholesome yeah but with this like what we saw in the opening montage, like it's wholesome, but like in, in a, in a slightly askance way, right? Like mm-hmm. she's wholesome, but she's also inherently trusts Rockford because he's an ex con. Right. Right. Yeah. She's wholesome, but in a world that we aren't, we don't think of as wholesome. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, well, in, in this intro scene, she's wearing this wonderful floral pl- print dress <laughs> with these bubblegum pink high heels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like, huh. And then over the course of the episode, pretty much all of her outfits have some floral element I started noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all very flattering. As she goes to her car, we see two goons watching Mm -hmm. her. Um, They have a bit of dialogue establishing that they know that Jerry knows something, but, um, you know, she must have, he must have told her, we're going to stay with the honey. She'll know where he's got it stashed. And then I have in all caps, hell of a pair of goons. Yeah. So one of these goons is Sid Haig. Mm-hmm. And uh, hell yeah, this guy. This guy is is the the heavy in mm-hmm. every <laughs> memorable bad movie from the, this era. He's shown up in Buck Rogers, which I mentioned earlier, uh, a bunch of other things. But also uh, horror film fans will recognize him from uh, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's mm. Rejects. And he's he's just got this amazing face for for that (laughs) for just he he's menacing he is incredibly menacing and then the other guy i assume is that wilson is that the other i guess so i'm I'm trying to look at his picture to see but there's no uh so there's no picture on imdb so i'm not 100 percent sure however he looks like he's doing a Jack Nicholson impression. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Like he's doing like a shining era Jack Nicholson kind of voice, which I think is, you know, just coincidence. Anyway, very, very goony, these two guys. Big lapels. Mm-hmm. Definitely not cops. Like sometimes we see heavies and it's like, oh, I wonder if these guys are cops. These guys yeah. definitely not cops. My my um my notes in this are like this guy looks like Sid Haig. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! And, and then I'm like, seriously, sinister goons. Yeah. And then as the as the show went on, I was like, I bet you that's a young Sid Haig. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure is. Well, we get right into it as uh, we cut uh, from there to a nice long shot of the Firebird. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a really interesting shot too because it's very very steady with it just kind of going uh 
straight across the middle of the screen. I don't know. It's just not a shot that I'm used to seeing of yeah. the Firebird, and I, I quite liked it, like on a ridge, kind of, and just. Well, this is this is the introduction of Rockford into the into this episode. We don't even go mm-hmm. to the trailer or like mm-hmm. you know. We just start with the car. She's already convinced him to work for her, right? And they're in the car a lot in this episode. It's yeah. a very Firebird heavy episode, which is nice. Uh, but yes, Jolene is in the car with Jim. They're going to Caledonia to find it, whatever this score is. And she says that it's worth half a million dollars, maybe. Maybe <laughs> more, maybe less. Jim then spots that they're being tailed by these two goons in just a real beater of a, of a big blue whale Very sedan. obvious car. <laughs> and uh, he has a very simple but effective gambit to get rid of this tail where he... Um, speeds up to pass a like a double tractor mm-hmm. semi or a double trailer I should say semi so it has the two two trailers so he passes it pulls in front of it and then when the goons speed up to pass it he uses the fact that they can't see it to go over on the shoulder and just rolls off the shoulder into an orange grove <laughs> and by the time uh, they get in front of the semi he's the gone. bird has just vanished so good yeah I felt like, I'm like, have we seen this before? But I probably have just seen this episode before. But like, yeah. he's gone, he's driven into Orange Grove. So I'm sure of it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure we see him driving into Orange Grove before. But this particular maneuver is very good. There's another mm-hmm. one later that's like one of those that I think we both remembered, but could not remember what episode it was in. Right. So, yeah, this is a good one, again, for Firebird stuff. <laughs> um, but we, we cut from him easily losing these goons to going over a bridge into this town of Caledonia and then immediately getting pulled over (laughs) uh this episode is extremely um efficient with its cuts yeah it's going straight to the next bit of action we always get right to the meat of the next thing there's very little intro build-up kind of stuff so we go right from him getting pulled over to the sheriff's office in caledonia where we start with the sheriff Mm -hmm. and we establish his character by seeing that he's getting his picture taken by like i guess for the local newspaper question mark yeah but he wants to see the negatives before they print anything because he wants to make sure that he's you know doesn't have his eyes closed it's too easy to make hay of eyes closed to crime Mm -hmm. he wants images that that will scare the criminals but not scare the voters and that's when jim and jillian are sitting down behind him as he's uh ushering out this uh, photographer there's a nice vanity to this uh you know like you get the feeling that this is a sheriff very full of himself but it was also very interesting to me as a modern viewer because he he's literally asking for all the negatives meaning once the mm. picture has been taken. If he owns those negatives, then I guess nobody can make a photograph from them. Mm. Like the idea that you could own your image is so quaint to me <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's kind of great. It's, I think it's just something that like doesn't, uh, that may not land if you aren't aware of like what's actually happening there, but it just, he's, he's incredibly controlling is what's happening. He wants to be, uh, in charge of everything that, you, you know, right paranoid and controlling yes after getting the assurance that he will be able to get those negatives uh he turns his attention to jim and jolene wants to know why they're there to see him and not just it's not just about this ticket that cost him 1750 <laughs> this is the 74 i'm just doing it because uh to establish our scale yeah this is a good uh i hope you had your calculator out because this was a good <laughs> accounting episode yeah all right 1974 Whoa, $96. All right. 
That's not that's nothing to. That's not nothing. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be happy about that. I'd be a okay with the seventeen fifty. <laughs> I, I wouldn't understand why they pulled me into the sheriff's office for seventeen fifty, but yeah. Unlike many other Rockford Files episodes, they came to see him specifically. Oh, that's true. Yes. Yeah. It just so happened that they also have to pay this ticket. Yeah. But um, they want to see him. This is so. This is Sheriff Homer Prouty, which is <laughs> a great name. Um, he was the arresting officer of Jerry, Jolene's husband, four years right. ago. And they'd like some details about what that was. And there's some implication in the dialogue that this was like. So, so Jerry was arrested and went to jail for some kind of swindle situation. And that's what he has been in jail for and now is sick, but still in jail. Mm-hmm. And so this guy, uh, Sheriff Homer, as I will refer to him, um, is the one who actually arrested Jerry. So? So we were hoping that you'd give us some of the details of the arrest. Why? This is Mrs. Highland. She'd like to know. Was you Mrs. Highland four years ago? Yes. Sure took you a long time to work up curiosity, didn't it? And Jim shows his PI license and says he's working for Mrs. Highland. And they have a little more back and forth about, uh, well, if I don't tell you anything, you're going to go digging in newspapers. So I'll just save you some time and all of us some some hassle. Um, And he says it was real simple. He came blazing through Caledonia, 70, 75 miles an hour. I pulled him over, arrested him for speeding, and then Mm -hmm. saw that he had a, a warrant out from LAPD. They came out to get him, and that was that. One of the things I like about this scene, well, there's... Two things that stand out with this scene to me was one he he obviously shows contempt for the uh, the fact that Jim's a uh, private eye right uh, and it doesn't phase Jim at all yeah the guy's like you you'll probably dig through the library and Jim's like yep that's what I'll do I feel like it's like a real calculated risk on Jim's part right because like yeah so many times these small town sheriffs as shown to us on the show are mm-hmm. their knee jerk reaction to PIs is not good and neither yes. is this guy's but yeah. he does kind of play cool i guess uh just to get him off his off his back and and jim you could tell that jim's sizing him up which is kind of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. fun to watch the other thing is that the they have um there's a ceiling fan going during this 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 whole sequence uh which has this sort of effect on the lighting especially when it's looking at jim and um jolene you don't see the fan you just keep seeing the shadow pass by them I don't even know if it would have stood out to me, except that I got up to turn my ceiling fan off to stop the effect. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, "Whoa, of course it wouldn't work. That's on the TV." Uh, but I liked it. It just had a. It kind of gave it like a kind of a a sweltering feel to it. You mm-hmm. know, like a little bit of a. Uh, they're kind of sweating them, and then they do this. Yeah, where Jim is like, you you arrested him for speeding. That doesn't sound right. Um, and then they do this weird fade out on the on the water cooler. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just it's not how I'm used to cuts on the show. So I, it just felt like it was imbued with some meaning that I <laughs> I didn't quite catch. Perhaps because of how I was taking notes, I did not notice the the fade out. Um, may have to go back and see what I think about that. But what we go to is outside the sheriff's office where Jim is coming back from having obviously made a phone call or something. Yeah. And uh, uh, he says that the, the sheriff played that too cool. In a place like mm-hmm. this, he should have sat us down and bored us to tears with every detail of that. It's probably the biggest bust he ever made in his life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently he called a friend, who I can only assume is Dennis. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. not not appearing in this episode. Um 
and that the the computer records say that he was picked up for trespassing outside of town at a place called Albertson Farm. Mm-hmm. So not only did he play it too cool, he also elided some important information. So they go to Albertson Farm, uh, whatever this stash was, it must be buried there somewhere. Um, we get a little more backstory about this arrest. The warrant that he was uh, that was out for for Jerry was for this four million dollar score that he'd made. Mm-hmm. Uh, details ungiven, but Jolene says, uh, but he made full restitution of that money. <laughs> he gave it all back. So anything that's buried out here, that that belongs to Jerry. They poke around a little bit, and then just as I was expecting, a wild Sheriff Homer appears, <laughs> asking them what they're doing out there. He casually strolls out of one of the buildings with a big cigar, which is <laughs> a fun look. There's there's a nice exchange where uh, you may have been expecting it, but Rockford said, we didn't <laughs> expect to see you out here. Mm. And he's like, yes, I bet you didn't. But it is clear that everyone expected to see everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, but he, he wants to know what they're doing out there. Jim says they're on a sentimental journey, mm-hmm. rechasing uh, Jerry's steps. And then we have a gag uh, that I believe was in the preview montage where he says, all right, Sheriff, what do you want to know? How long will it take you to get out of Caledonia? How about 15 minutes? Why don't you make it 10? <laughs> he does confront the sheriff with the fact that he knows that the sheriff lied about the arrest. Right. And the sheriff just just totally stonewall, just like yeah. skips it. It's just like, I'm the sheriff. I'm asking the questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the Firebird, uh, heading back to L.A., we presume um, Jillian thinks Jim should have done something. Right. Jim doesn't think he would have liked being in that sheriff's jail. So we have that brief scene in the Firebird, and then we cut to to them at a like at a grocery store or like a small like a convenience store or something where Jolene is is getting groceries and they're continuing their conversation. I do like the idea that because at this point Jim has probably decided he's done with the job with this case. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, and in fact, in a moment we'll hear that. But he's also like, yeah, no, we'll, I'll take you grocery shopping. Why not? Let's... Yeah, we'll stop on your way home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's part of that real, like, naturalistic kind of, mm-hmm. like, yeah, of course, this is just a thing that would happen in the course of a normal day. Um, it has the classic bunch of greens sticking out of the top of the bag, so we know it's groceries. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I, I like the physical, um, the blocking and physical uh, business here, where it's like, Jolene is, pay- is paying for the groceries, and then Jim immediately picks up the bag and, like, carries the bag for her as they're yeah. having their conversation, which, again, seems like a very Jim thing. Um, so Jolene says that she could have gotten run out of town all by herself. She didn't need Jim for that. And so Jim offers to knock 25% off his bill and only charge for half the day. <laughs> but Jolene doesn't want him to quit. There's a fortune at that farm. And Jim explains that uh, it's just too big. They could be looking under artichokes for 10 years and never come up with anything. <laughs> And uh, he's right, as we learn. Yes. <laughs> Jim drops off Jolene. Uh, she gives us a little bit more of her motivation. She really needs that money, not just for her, but with the money, she can get a good lawyer that's going to get Jerry out of out of that jail on parole. And then that she can afford a heart specialist to, to, to see him and, you know, get him, get him all fixed up. So far, she has not been played as like some yeah. kind of like, greedy or as as someone who's like really driven by the money itself but now we're getting kind of more of her personality and motivation of like she wants this money because she can help jerry with it yeah her stance starting from maybe the previous scene and then going forward is that this is this is um 
Jerry's money. Right, right. And so uh, it's all about things that sh- that can be done with the money to help him in his situation. Right. And what it's interesting because it's you feel like, well, should I doubt this? You don't. The, or at least I didn't. The mm. way the actress plays it, it feels authentic the whole time. But because this is an episode of like that sort of you know betrayal and whatnot, like the, the you you're like okay, but I don't know about you, but I'm I'm like okay, but is she putting this on? Is right. she doing a really good job of putting this on, yeah. or is this uh, a, a genuine take on what's going to happen? I don't think the episode makes a whole lot of a lot out of that tension there, but it, I, I feel like it, it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this episode. So so far, this episode has been very straightforward. Like yeah. We're just getting like, here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing. Um, she's not playing her role as duplicitous. Yeah. Jim isn't really acting like he thinks she's being duplicitous yeah. either. I agree that there's like an undercurrent just because there's always kind of an open question for yeah. the beginning of an episode. Like at some point, things are going to pick up. In which way are they going to go? Yeah. Uh, and this is the scene where they do. Um, but yeah, but but yeah, so far it's kind of like, all right, we, we're establishing the things. At least I'm kind of like, all right, when's the when's when's, when's the, the twist? Yeah, when's the thing? Yeah, when's the next? Yeah. I don't know. When is the first shoe to drop? I'm not yet waiting for the second shoe. I'm I'm actually still waiting yeah. for the first shoe. Um, but as I said, it happens in this scene. So uh, Jim apologizes. He's like, I'm not going to. He's basically like, I have no reason to keep working on this. I think this is a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out. Sorry. So she she gets out of the Firebird. Uh, he backs out of the parking lot. And then we cut from from seeing him definitively leave. He is not hanging around uh, to her opening her door in a very shadowy shot. This is another yeah. very like noirish kind of framing here where she's fumbling with her keys and we see someone in the shadows waiting for her. And I think it's supposed to be a question of like, is that one of the goons? Right. Yeah. It's very unclear. Uh, but it is not. Um, he does come out of the shadows and surprise her, but she knows this guy. His name is Len. He is played by Richard Shaw, who I feel like is a name I recognize, even though I, and his face I kind of recognized. Yeah. I don't know where I recognize him from, <laughs> but he's uh, he's certainly a face. I feel like the big surprise is his outfit when he comes out of the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Speaking of lapels. Yes. And I, I was actually kind of wondering if it's meant to be, because he, he's been in prison for four years. So I was wondering if it's meant to be four years out of date or if mm. that meant to be extravagant. The, the, the next scene will make me wonder even more. <laughs> right. I don't think at any point we get a read that he is fashionable. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, he has just gotten out of uh, out of jail himself. We get so this scene builds and then releases some tension between the two of them. Yes. In a very effective but low key way, if that makes sense. It's set up to be a little threatening, and then he comes out of the shadows, and she knows who it is, and so that's kind of diffused. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, let's go inside where you can give me a real welcome. And it's like, yeah, okay, so do they, like, have something? Um, he's definitely got a creep vibe. He definitely has a creep vibe, and she's definitely a little hesitant and uncomfortable, mm-hmm. if for no other reason than she did not expect to see him. Yeah. But she did know he was getting out of jail. She asked how he how she knew that he was out and she says that she has a calendar so it's right. like she's been aware and kind of keeping track right um 
You know, he said it's not his fault that Jerry got two more years than he did or whatever this scam was. Yeah. Um, and uh, he... He definitely makes some advances. I don't remember the exact words of it, but she puts up a, like, she sets her boundaries. Yes. Just with, almost with just a look. Like, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it's clear that, like, nope. Yeah, that, I guess that's what I was saying about, like, creating and then diffusing the tension. Like, it's, yeah. a lot of it's in the in the blocking, but there's this mm-hmm. moment where, like, he gets really close to her and kind of touches her face and kind of touches her hair. Mm-hmm. And, and we have, like, a moment where it's like, okay, where is this going to go? And then she gives him a look, and he's just like, <sighs> okay, I'll settle for dinner. Um, so yeah, so they go to a fancy, uh, fancy restaurant of some kind. Uh, he wants to celebrate as he is now out of jail, of course, and he makes a joke that she ends up laughing at about uh, uh, Jillian's a terrible cook anyway, because <laughs> um, she's like, I could have made you dinner or whatever. But yeah, and then they fill in a little backstory here while they uh, get their drinks and whatnot. So it's been four years. Um, it's kind of talked around, but given given us to understand that they were uh, that they were having an affair, right? While she was married to yes. Jerry, um, and then he has a line where it's like, "Jerry, even if he'd known, he wouldn't have cared. He only yeah. cared about the con. Like he didn't care about people." So he's been waiting four years to pick it back up again, and she's been spending four years thinking about it and trying to trying to explain to herself why she yeah, had that this, affair. This this uh, sort of back and forth where she says, that's an explanation, not an excuse. Yeah. And uh, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, well, I'm just looking for to excuse myself like or something like that. I can't remember the exact line, but it was it was definitely like he thought, oh, we'll pick it right back up. And she was like, no. And she's like, that was a bad idea. And I've been trying to figure out why I made such a bad decision. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I still haven't quite nailed it. So there's another uncomfortable moment. But then we end the scene with a very strong. (laughs) Like where he buried $746,000 in rare stamps. (laughs) First of all, let's get the, the money out of the way. That's a little over $4 million today style. Right. Uh, if you can conceive of that, I cannot. Uh, <laughs> it, it, that is the same as $746,000 to me. But anyways, mm-hmm. the point is 746000 is a specific number for something like rare stamps. <laughs> Which you would think would change in valuation. Right, yeah. Right, whatever. All, but it's very Rockford for mm-hmm. it to be rare stamps, right? Or, or something like that. This is very Rockfordishness MacGuffin, right? Where it's yeah. like rare stamps, great. This is a specific number that is not like $750,000, right? Yeah. Like it's it's uh, the specific non even or i guess it's whatever even non like easy number so we've now we've established that her husband jerry uh is a con artist and that this guy is also probably a con artist yeah as well. and that they did like jobs together or yeah. they were partners or something like that so that number the seven hundred and forty six thousand dollars sticks uh, like to me i'm like oh that's a con <laughs> like <laughs> like there's just something about this that makes me sus- very suspicious about this money this is not me complaining or anything like that but it, it surprised me just a little bit that rockford wasn't completely suspicious of that from right. the get-go um but yeah uh, it's a great delivery of the line and it just puts us we're like, okay, this is the thing that we're looking for. It's worth a lot of money and it's small. <laughs> I'm just, I'm looking at a, uh, an article from 2020 
entitled The Ten Most Valuable Stamps in the World. Oh, nice. And uh, just to establish what we might be talking about. And this is, a, or I guess this is in the dollars at which they were sold at auction. Mm-hmm. So the Tiflis stamp from 1857 was worth $700,000. Okay. So there you go. There's one. The the most valuable stamp thus far is the British Guiana one cent magenta from 1856, which sold for $9.48 million. Nine, wow. I was just finding one that's kind of close. I guess my point is this could be one stamp. Yeah, this could be. <laughs> yeah, this is. I guess I'm not doubting. Well, maybe I did doubt the value of stamps being valued at that much. Um, yeah. What, what I was doubting was the, the precision of right, the value right. rather than saying three quarters of a million dollars, which they do pretty much from there on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, feels more accurate because it doesn't have a false precision to it. Right. But that false precision to me felt uh, grifty that I thought was meant to be like, hey, Rockford, this is a grift. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't. It, ju- it just turned out not to be that. I mean, it's not like they go, we have already gone into it much more than yeah, exactly. gone into. <laughs> but my headcanon for this would be whatever grift they ran to procure said stamps mm-hmm. involved this number. Yeah. That was what it was going for at auction, or that's what it was valued yeah. by the insurance or something, right? And so yeah. that's just like the number now. But all of that is too much because the next scene is what I really want to talk about. <laughs> Jolene has gone back to Jim in the trailer. Uh, now that there's this new development. So there's a couple things here. Number one, Jim is wearing a hell of a sweater. <laughs> and I feel like this sweater has been worn in other episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's cable knit. My the, the video resolution isn't quite high enough mm-hmm. to, to show, but it's kind of this long, saggy, white grandpa sweater. Yeah. Which is extremely good. Um, he spends this entire conversation digging around in couch cushions and looking under things, uh, which is just very, this is a very rock traditionist scene all yes. over the place. But uh, the content here is that Lynn wants 50%. Of, mm-hmm. you know, this score. But the stamps belong to Jerry. The thing is, she has the town, but Jerry gave Len the, the specific directions to get to the yes. spot where they are buried. So he doesn't know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't know where to start without her and she doesn't know where to go without him. Um, so Jim advises her to take 50% of something rather than 100% of nothing. <laughs> Which is always good advice. But uh, she doesn't trust Len not to double cross her. And so she wants Jim to, to come along, you know, on her behalf. And he's like... So you want protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. So he says that he's willing to do that for 5%. So this is uh, roughly $38,000. Modern money, that would be roughly 200, a little over $200,000. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Is that 5% from her half? Oh, that's a good question. Because I I wrote this down too. I I used a calculator and got that Mm -hmm. same number, but... Later, he says that his 5% is out of her share. Yeah. And he negotiated her up. Yeah. But that number is not higher than 5% of the 100%. Right. So that'd be... So that's $18,650, assuming that it's 5% from her half of the score. I'm just saying, otherwise, his negotiating later actually 
takes money out of his own pocket, which does right. not sound like Jim Rockford to me. Yeah. Uh, no, I, that's true. I'm sure in the end, I mean, you and I, and probably everyone listening knows that <laughs> this is academic, but right, right. <laughs> I, I'm sure in the end, uh, it, he would have fought over some quibbling sure. about the 5% of what or whatever. One of the other things I wanted to point out about this scene, though, with him going through the couch mm-hmm. is that I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'll have to go back and look at the tape, but I'm pretty sure he reached into the cushion and pulled out some tidy whities and then shoved them back in. <laughs> he definitely shoved something back into the cushions. I wasn't quite sure what it was either. Um, but yes. Uh, Jim, he says this all sounds fair. He'll take the the job for 5%. Mm -hmm. But first he has to find the keys to his car. So that is what he's been spending this whole time looking for. And this is this is lovely because, uh, you know, you know, I really enjoyed the way Jim doesn't like to do work. (laughs) And uh, this is uh, him distracted and being like, sure, yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> like, which is like 5% like. of a lot of money. Sure. Yeah. But I also like how there's a bit of plausible deniability of him being like, you know what? I can't take the job. I can't drive. I can't yeah, find my no, keys. Yeah. I don't have keys. But so. he decides, decides to go for it. Well, let's take a little break. Uh, we want to make sure that you know where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can Google Epidia. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, you can go to digathousandholes.com. That's the number a thousand. Or you can go to worlds, plural, without master, singular.com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at ndpaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast, go to 200aday.fireside.fm. And now back to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. Well, they go to the motel where Len is staying just in time to see an ambulance there. Yeah. It passes them and they see Len in the back with blood on his face. Uh, He's clearly been beaten up. Jim knows that talking to the cops isn't going to get them anywhere, but he's going to look for an indignant man with an authority complex because that'll be the (laughs) hotel manager. So good. (laughs) Um, And sure enough, he finds said indignant man and combatively talks to him to Keep challenging him about his worthiness as a hotel manager. I, I was I was having struggling in my notes to characterize what he's doing here because his character is almost got a jelly gully gee willikers to it. You know, like the, not quite, but he's like, oh, that wouldn't happen to Mineola. Uh, and, and the, you know, the hotel manager says, well, this isn't Mineola, but it's not a dangerous place. You know, and just this back and forth. I I can't precisely, uh, characterize it, but what I really appreciate from it is that it's clear that Jim's putting on something of an act that he is surgically striking this manager's (laughs) buttons. Like he just knows exactly what to say. And yeah. Did the police catch them in, huh? Did they catch them? They almost did. I called the cops, but the sirens tipped them off. They came running out of here just before that black and white pulled in. It's just a little too late to help your tenant out. I mean, he gets beaten senseless, probably lost every penny he had in his pocket. He picked up a couple of lousy bruises. I didn't lose one lousy dime. If you're so hot on Mineola, why don't you just uh, 
go on back there, huh? Oh, not on your life. No, you never get this kind of action, Mineola. <laughs> and the, the info that he gets is that this guy got beat up but by a couple of guys, but they didn't steal any money. Mm-hmm. And from that, they can infer that uh, it was someone who, who also knows about the stash, that this wasn't a random robbery yeah. attempt or something. The one fun bit about the conversation is how Jim is playing up that this guy got got beat up and the hotel manager keeps downplaying the severity of how badly he got beat up as if that would like if i came to a hotel and there's somebody being pulled out on a stretcher and i was looking for a hotel room Mm -hmm. and and i've learned that it's because this guy someone broke into his room and beat him up uh but the hotel manager's like it's just some bruises it's not not, (laughs) like no i'm still not staying at this hotel (laughs) like that's yeah that's very good um so clearly someone else must know about the stash. Um, and Jim would rather talk to Len than to the gorillas who worked him over. Yeah. So they're going to wait for him to get out of the hospital. And he wants to put Jolene somewhere safe as well in the interim. We then cut to an overhead shot of the Firebird pulling up to a driving range with a voiceover <laughs> of, well, he couldn't be hurt too bad if he's out here hitting golf balls. So again, just the most ruthlessly efficient Scene scene cutting where it's like right to the next thing. We don't need setup. We don't need to know how Jim found like he found this out somehow. Who who cares? We're at the driving range. That's what's important. The the character of Len is um is interesting at this point because not only is he golfing, but he that's his thing. Apparently, he likes golfing. We see he, he took her out to eat at a very expensive restaurant, and she comments on how expensive the restaurant is. Um. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, like, what he was wearing and stuff. But, like, you get the feeling that this is, uh, this guy is maybe a little, lives, is used to a lifestyle that he can't afford right, as an ex-con, yeah. right? Like, he's he's used to living large, and this is not, um, mm. yeah. Anyways, I, I just like that. I like these details that are that are kind of coming out in this way. We have a great gag where they get out of the car and Jolene asks Jim to do the talking and he's like, leave it all to me. Don't worry. And then as soon as they get to Len, every time Jim tries to open his mouth, (laughs) Jolene cuts him off. She just has to argue with Len. Um, and it is extremely well done. Yeah. She says that, uh, she's not going to give him 50%. And he says, you're not giving me 50%. I'm taking it. And Jim's like, okay, I'm going to go hit some golf balls until you want to deal me into this conversation. And he just <laughs> leaves, um, which I think brings Jolene back to earth a little bit. And mm-hmm. she, finally, she ends ends her bit with you negotiate with him or not at all. They they both know they need each other to get this score. Neither of yeah. them is willing to trust the other one. And now Jolene is brought in the third party, right? Yeah. Jim starts off with a split that he thinks is fair. There's three of them. <laughs> so 33 and a third for each. <laughs> And Jolene starts to protest and he's like, no, that's the deal. Mm -hmm. So we see that she is not happy with where he has taken this. Uh, And I guess this is where we get her kind of the most naive part. I don't know. I'm sitting here and I'm like, Jim is is getting her a a bigger cut, right? Yeah, yeah. but we know Jim. But we know Jim. This is a tactic, but she takes it as red. And I think her reaction probably sells it for Len also. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, the deal is they can all go together. 
they all get an even split. Uh, he asks about those two goons. Um, Lynn says the guys who worked him over. He says they went to a lot of trouble for nothing. I uh, didn't tell them anything. We, or they were on the same cell block as Jerry, which is probably how they heard about the score in the first place. But they're not in. Mm-hmm. The three of them are in. Those two guys are not in. Uh, and then Lynn, they, they set up like, okay, well, you know, we'll meet tonight and go or whatever. And then Lynn leaves and then Jolene storms away in a huff. Yeah. And this, I really like this. This There's this great tracking shot where we follow her she stalks back to the firebird and she's walking behind all the people at the driving range who are doing their driving and (laughs) there's this almost like syncopated rhythm of the sound of of the golf balls being hit i don't know if i'm using the syncopated correctly there but there's something about the rhythm of the golf ball thwacks with Mm -hmm. her pace Good on Stuart Margolin. Right. It was. It's a great shot. She gets to the Firebird and can't get in because the uh, the doors are locked, which I feel like is the first time on the Rockford Piles I can remember that Jim locked the car doors after getting out. <laughs> yes. That's going to come up again later in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wondered about it back then, too. Oh, anyways, go on. And she slumps down in defeat against the Firebird, and he comes over. So I think this is the line that is essentially what was in the preview montage, but is not actually said. I hired you because of your prison record. I thought you were a man I could trust. Yeah. Just negotiated me down to 33 and a third. But Jim says no. He negotiated her up to 66 and two thirds. Minus Mm -hmm. is 5%. Yes. So this is when I double checked with the earlier scene. (laughs) (laughs) Because now his cut has gone up from like 18,000 or whatever to 24,000 something. And there's a a nice little exchange after that where she apologizes, which is a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, She says, I'm sorry, I thought you were trying to double cross me. And he's like, don't feel bad about it. It crossed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She keeps apologizing for things where he's like, he's essentially like, no, that's kind of what I wanted you to think. Right. Yeah. Like, he does not hold any of her reactions against her because he knows what he's doing while she is, you know, she keeps apologizing for things, which gets explored more in the next scene. Um, As we follow them, as they leave the driving range, and then we see the goons pick them up and follow them yet again. In the car, Jolene apologizes for her behavior, and Jim says that she had every right to be mad, and we... Uh, get the apology gag from the preview montage here where, you know, he says, that's your problem. You're always apologizing. And she says, I'm sorry. The most <laughs> set up spike joke <laughs> yeah. that I've seen in a minute. Um, it's delivered well, though. It, it, it yeah. works. Jim then notices they're being tailed and then takes a hard turn to confirm. Such a hard turn. Like a really hard <laughs> turn. And so they really have to swerve to, to keep following him. They must have followed Lynn to the range in order to pick them up, you know, and, and, and uh, follow Jolene. So the goons already know where Len is. So now they're following mm-hmm. Jolene because they know she knows something that Len is, doesn't know. And then th- this is great where he goes, here we go. And then very, I would say, Fast and the Furious style downshifts and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hits the gas to accelerate. And the score, which has been kind of rolling along, drops mm-hmm. out into a classic. We do not need music in order to appreciate this uh, <laughs> yes. car chase, car chase. This is a fun little chase with a wonderful ending. Uh, yeah, it, it had a nice narrative to it because uh, they set it up and then you you feel like it, at, at some point in the chase, there there is a on the side of the road, there's uh, a truck 
that's used for transporting cars. Uh, you, you know the kind I'm talking about. Uh, I'm sure there's a name for it. <laughs> a car truck. Yes, there is and a car truck. There's a car truck. And they're taking a, a car off of the top of one of them, and it's backing down and then turning out into the street, which is becoming something of an obstacle. And uh, Rockford negotiates it, and the trailing vehicle uh, manages to negotiate it as well. Kind of just barely. The the Kind of the drama here is that their car is so big and yeah. heavy that it's just fishtailing all over the place, just barely able to keep up with Jim. Yeah. And then you get this feeling inside where you're like, huh, well, that's... That's a shame. That was a lost opportunity for a truck, <laughs> a car truck. And then Jim just doubles back. Like he just goes around the block mm-hmm. and, and they chase him around the block. And uh, he comes back and just drives up onto that truck and they both duck down. And it does exactly what you want it. So you had this moment of like, oh, if only they'd. Oh, all right. Yeah. Of course, Jim's got to see it and then come up with right. the play. He doesn't have to. He can't know it's there. And he's faster enough that he can make that turn and get up there before yeah. they make the turn to see what's around the corner right yeah yeah and then they've they've lost him yeah it's extremely good as soon as i saw the the car truck the car carrier i don't know yeah car transporter <laughs> i was like oh, is this where this actually is yeah <laughs> and uh sure enough it was including the moment that i also remembered which is um we we then stick with jim as he very carefully backs down oh yes and then we go down to like a like a door mounted camera that's focused on the front wheel so we mm-hmm. see the wheel being kept like very straight and you know negotiating this this thing because it could fall off this truck right like it yeah right and then into the frame as it finally backs up onto the street, we see the feet and then legs and then body and then head of the cop <laughs> standing there pulling out his uh, his ticket book. And uh, uh, yeah. it's a great visual gag. You just feel it as he's pulling down. You're like, why are we watching this part now? Like, right, what's the, yeah. What's the button? What's mm. going to happen? And then when you hit, you're like, oh, yeah, that's mm. good. It hits, it hits just right. So we cut to that evening uh, again in the Firebird where Jolene offers to pay for the ticket because <laughs> it's it's her fault that they were in that situation. But she feels sorry for the cop. He had such a terrible time figuring out how to write the citation. <laughs> and Jim says that uh, it's not as terrible as I'm going to have trying to explain it in court. Yeah. So this is another moment where she apologizes for something and Jim's like, I made that decision. I did that thing. You don't need to apologize for it. uh, She says that when she's involved, things just seem to go wrong. Uh, Jerry was a successful man until he married her. (laughs) Jim's like successful at swindling. She's like, well, yeah. It's like, well, he's the one who broke the law and is in jail. So that makes him the loser, not her. Mm -hmm. They are going to get Len, but then as they get to his hotel, they see the two goons pulling Len out by the arms, out of (laughs) dragging him out of the door. (laughs) They got Len. Yeah. But they see it in time to back out before the goons can see them, and then they follow the goons to wherever they are taking Len. So we get another crossfade here. Uh, to them rolling into some remote spot where uh, they hustle in into a shed. And then Jim tells Jolene to lock the doors uh, and he leaves the keys in the car just in case because he's going to go you know, creep up on, on what's happening. I did think this was going to lead to something 
but it in fact does not. No, that, that's exactly what I was thinking when I mentioned it earlier. It just it was a reasonable precaution, mm-hmm. but it's not unlike Jim to make reasonable precautions. So it was within his character. But right, it right. certainly felt like we need you to understand that these doors are locked and the keys are in it. Yeah, it felt a little, a little like it was the second of a of a three. Yeah, yeah, because it's like he couldn't find his keys. Then we had the locked doors earlier. An accidental motif. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's super intentional. I think it's just like some gags. Yeah. And since we have so much Firebird in this one, they end up overlapping. The scene is also, and this is partly because Sid Haig is involved, Mm -hmm. so I'm characterizing it like that. But This is a horror movie scene? It is. It's very much a horror. Like, they take him to a remote place where they're going to work him over, which is not unusual for the Rockford Files, but the... The precaution that we just described is locking the doors with the keys in it just is a little beyond what we normally get from Rock Files. There's also the pathetic weather thing going on mm-hmm. where it's starting to rain and there's thunder in the background to just, just go ahead and give you that feeling of like... Ominous. Yeah, this is ominous. We're going to... A murder is about to happen. Yeah, and then a lot of it... So So... Uh, Sid Egg does most of the talking and most of the threatening and, and talking mm-hmm. here. And whenever we cut to him, it's it's an it's an upshot. It's yeah, which is like a horror movie exactly angle, right? To really accentuate his like big head and his scary <laughs> teeth and everything. Um, but then we get a, a a pretty good joke to kind of break mm-hmm. that yeah. <laughs> tension. So. Um, Jim Jim peeks through the window and then we kind of just go in and, and watch this happen where they, they work work Lynn over a little bit and then uh, they're like, what? we don't believe you, that you only have half of it. You know, why would he only tell, why would Jerry only tell you half of it? That doesn't make any sense. So finally, Lynn says, okay, okay, I'll talk. You know, you're right. I do have all of it. I'm going to give you the directions. You have to start from the courthouse. Mm-hmm. So Sid Haig pulls out a notebook and we got to Jim pulling out a notebook. And then so they're crazy. both starting to write really fast as Len is talking really fast. He's like, you, you drive due north about 3.7 miles. Then you go west. That's a dirt road. You go west 2.8 miles. And you make a hard right. Wait a minute. You're going too fast. All right. Make a hard right. Go three-tenths of a mile. And that'll take you to a billboard. It's buried underneath one of the supports, northeast corner. Is that it? That's it. Okay, okay, so we started a courthouse. What courthouse? Where? I don't know. This is when uh, things escalate. So Sighag takes out his belt and wraps it around his fist, and he's like, uh, yeah. you're going to wish you told the truth the first time. So while he's been doing this, Jim has crept out to their car where they had like the headlights on to illuminate the inside or whatever. Yeah. And then he says, because we're going to bring you down. And that's when Jim has jumped behind the wheel of their car and plows into the barn, (laughs) hits this like hayloft support and sends this pile of stuff down on all three of them. Uh, But yes, so the three of them are all buried in hay. (laughs) <laughs> and then Jim digs around, pulls Len out, uh, gets the, the, the gun away from the goons and ends up uh, shoving them in the trunk of their car and then exit goons. Yes, that's 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 a wrap on today. <laughs> um, there's a great moment when well, not great, but there's a, there's a funny moment when Jim pulls Len out from underneath. It. He's like, what the what are you doing here? Yeah, like, yeah. Angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just saved him from a beating. But OK, that's fine. 
I mean, he clearly had that whole situation under control. Yeah, yeah. Well, he saved Lynn, but then he says he's out. He was listening at the window, and he got the directions, mm-hmm. so they don't need him anymore. And Lynn, Lynn laughs at him and says, what, you thought I gave them the right, the real directions? Uh, and Jim's, Jim says, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so they have a bit of a back and forth uh, where Jim's like, all right, I'm going to go do, I'm going to go check it out. And Lynn says, I'll be here when you get back. <laughs> So we cut from there to uh, daylight as a voiceover as Jim and Jolene are rolling into Caledonia over that same bridge so we know uh, visually where we are. And uh, Jolene's actually asking about the mechanics of the payment here. Yes. Could you explain to me again how I pay you? Do I pay you at the end of the day or the end of the week and then deduct that from the 5% or, or what? The 5% is a bonus. It has nothing to do with my regular fee. You mean... $200 a day, and expenses, and 5%? That's right. <laughs> we then crossfade to them leaving Caledonia with a uh, voiceover. Look at these blisters. Two hours of digging and for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so they knock on Len's door, and he's back in. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they're all in for 33 and a third, and they'll all play it straight. Uh, so now they head back to Caledonia, perhaps, as we will see, with Len in the back seat, And we, we, we have a good kind of character scene here between Jolene and Len. Um, Len asks if Jolene has plans for her money because she can't spend it all on Jerry. And uh, then accuses her, says that she's going to spend it all on him because she feels guilty. Uh, mm-hmm. And she shoots back that, well, at least she feels. Yeah. This gets her mad. <laughs> <laughs> and she informs us that Lynn, he's he's basically just been riding Jerry's coattails this whole time. Jerry was always the brains of the operation. Uh, Lynn blew, blew all his money. And she's like, how much money do you have now? Yeah, that's right. None. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, exactly as you said, right? Like, we've yeah. been set up to expect this, and now we're, it is confirmed. Uh, but this is, this is Lynn's last free ride. And when this is all over, she never wants to see him again. He's the biggest mistake she ever made. There's uh, a couple of good lines. Like, early in this, Len says, it don't take three quarters of a million to die. Like, referring to Jerry doesn't need all that money. Uh, and then when she's like, I never want to see you again, he goes, that could be arranged. She's like, arrange it. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I know that that's a threat. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's very good. So they they pull over and they're like, all right, we're here. And then we see a car pulling in behind them. And then a big old drink of water gets out of that car <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and strolls up to, to Jim's window, asks if they need any help. And Len, Len pulls a gun in the back seat. I got all the help I need. So it's uh, another double cross. Uh, yes. Now, now Len, so this is Len's own muscle that followed them out or whatever from L.A. Uh, and now they're in the town. So Len, you know, doesn't need them anymore. But Jin says, I thought something like this would happen. And so he said that they, they went to the wrong town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not in the right place. And that he and Jolene will wait at that fruit stand till uh, you two get back. Len doesn't believe him. And Jim doesn't blame him. <laughs> so you get a good mirroring of uh the earlier bit my notes were like there's no way rockford took him to caledonia like (laughs) like, yeah not only is that the smart move for rockford but also it's fun watching these mirror back and forth and you're just like yeah okay there was a part of me that's kind of like i could see jim getting slightly too smart about it to yeah 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 this is the season of the seasons in which that would happen to him right like uh, 
I think this is the season where Jim's kind of always the smartest guy, mm-hmm. right? So you your reaction makes more sense where you're expecting Jim to have already thought of right. this. While I'm kind of like, I don't know, it would be an interesting story right? if, if he... he did get kind of the wool pulled over his eyes, but then there is some other reason why they still need him or something, you know, why they can get yeah. out of it. Uh, but no, you are right, uh, as we'll learn in a minute. But first we have Jim and Jolene eating some fruit while they wait. Um, they have a bit of a, a heart-to-heart where Jolene says that Len was right, that she does feel guilty about Jerry, uh, that their marriage wasn't right in the first place. Jerry picked her out like a used car, just part of his image for all of his, you know, schemes um, and swindles. And she laughs as she says that she married him for security. (laughs) Though it sounds like until he got caught, he was very successful, right? Yeah. It's kind of the portrait that we get. But yeah, it was kind of a false premise for their partnership in the first place. Uh, and then we have an ang- angry Len <laughs> and his uh, and his big buddy Strolla. <laughs> it's the wrong town. I was ready for another round of percentages and cuts and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But Jim's like, all right, get rid of the gorilla and we'll go back to, you know, our split. But he's not in. And yes. there's a gag where Len pays him $200 and he goes, $200? But you said, <laughs> I know what I said. Go back to L.A. <laughs> uh, so he is not as smart as Jim, I think, is no. what we get. Or he would have dealt himself in somehow. Um, so Jim handcuffs himself to Len and uh, says that if things go south from here, he'll make sure that there's a concealed weapon on him when the cops pick them both yeah. up, which will be a parole violation and send them back to jail. Yeah, there's a neat bit just before that where, you know, he's like, get rid of Godzilla. And then as Godzilla is turning away, Rockford says, hold on, and then pulls Len's gun from Len's belt and (laughs) hands it over to Godzilla. (laughs) And it's just like, we don't want this in the equation at all. So just take Mm -hmm. it with you. And and that was great. We then have what I call in my notes on a mission music. Yeah, a little more banjo. Finally, put everything together and they start following Len's directions. We're at City Hall now, heading north. Okay, check your mileage. Turn right. We go exactly one tenth of a mile. And they end up, shockingly, on Albertson's farm. (laughs) (laughs) So dramatically, right, it it makes sense. It works. Um, They just, the whole time, they kind of knew where they had to be. They just didn't know where they had to be. Yeah. Uh, but they have to follow the directions to the end, right, to, to make sure that they get it right. And so they pull up and they're on the farm and Len says, this isn't it. And <laughs> Jim turns to him. He's like, are you like, are you kidding me? Like, Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think he says, what, do you enjoy pain? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if you did it again, but he's like, no, no, it's up there. Like, this isn't it. <laughs> the yeah. chicken shed. So they pull out shovels and head to the shed. And we have like handheld shaky cam following them in i was like this is the second thing that feels like a horror movie Mm -hmm. but like they would not handheld shaky cam in horror films not really been established at that point well yeah i think we have like too many too much context like yeah yeah we're we're it's a horror movie thing but it's also like an action movie thing like yeah like a contemporary like action movie thing but it it definitely uh, it's an added energy to this rush to the the uh 
the the pirate's booty. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely not something we see on the show very much. Yeah. So yeah, it stood out. It was fun. It it, it kind of feels like I don't know. There are a lot of little moments in this where it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's you know Stuart Marglin. Not sure. You want to shoot it this way? Yeah. Fine. Why not? Like why not? <laughs> this will be fun. Um, so they go into the chicken shed, they start digging. Uh, <laughs> Jolene says that she has a good lawyer for Jerry. As soon as she has the money, she can pay his retainer and he can get started. Mm-hmm. And then they dig up a little box and it's all very exciting. And Jim makes Len give it to Jolene, lady's prerogative or whatever. Yeah. And she opens it and there's a single piece of paper. <laughs> Dear Jolene and Len, there are no stamps. Uh- no stamps, there never were, but if... If you're reading this, you believe my story, and that's all that matters, because by now, you two hate each other, and that is worth a fortune to me, Jerry. (laughs) I suddenly have so much appreciation for Jerry. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Jim's like, there goes my bonus. Well, after Jolene says, there goes the lawyer and the heart specialist. Yes. There goes my bonus. But he does say that Jerry must not have known her very well after all. Because, mm-hmm. like, she's been making, like, her whole character this whole time we've has been revealed to us as this woman who, like, feels like she might have made some mistakes. Right. And feels obligated to fix those. And the way she can do that is to get Jerry the help he needs. And she genuinely wants him to be well. Yeah. Um, while Jerry, this whole thing was... A vengeance trip. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there was the, the line earlier about, like, even if Jerry knew, he only cared about the money. So, like, yeah. clearly Jerry did know, and it did matter to him. Right. <laughs> and so he set this whole thing up. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, so Jim says, Jerry didn't know you very well after all. And it's like, right, because Jerry has just shot himself in the foot with this whole... Yeah. I mean, if there was any stamps in the first place, which there probably weren't, right? Right. And he didn't need to because they hated each other from the get-go. Right. Yeah. Jolene's um, wholesomeness isn't the right word, even though we were talking about her being kind of wholesome. Like, her uh, her kind of drive to make things right is something that neither Len nor Jerry seem to see or appreciate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, this is not the end of the episode quite yet. No. As they turn to leave and Sheriff Homer is there in the doorway with the shotgun. Yeah. Remember him? Uh, they hand over the empty box and then hand over the letter, which Len is crumpled into a ball, uh, <laughs> which I appreciate. There's no money? Never was. I'm like, it's the Rockford version of the astronaut meme. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. You know, I've been busting my back out here for four solid years and there never was no money. Sneaking out after supper every night, telling my wife I was going to check up on things. Breaking sod like some jackass. This is great because this is this is the vengeance. This is not the vengeance Jerry was looking for, right. but it's the vengeance he got. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, he, he does, after all, end up getting his vengeance on the cop who arrested him. But, uh, yeah, he's so he's going to arrest these you know, he's going to arrest the three of them. Uh, Jim says, shouldn't you read us read us our rights? And the sheriff says, before you get your rights, you'll hear the charges. Trespassing, illegal entry, back-talking to an officer of the law. <laughs> so good. And he looks around and goes, and illegal parking. <laughs> and they all look over at the Firebird, which is sitting in the middle of the field. And then we freeze frame on Jim and Jolene's disbelieving faces. End of episode. Ah... <laughs> uh... Yes, it was good. I enjoyed the uh, the twists and turns, even though like either through vague memory or just 
an understanding of how a Rockford Files episode works. I was, yeah, they're pretty, pretty easy to guess where it was going to go next. Yeah. It was more of a, how do they handle it? than uh, uh, you know, what is the next thing? Great chase sequences. Yeah. So much firebird. I mean, this kind of feels a little bit like a, an episode that might've been a, like a budget episode. Like right. most of the locations are outdoors. They spend a lot mm-hmm. of time in the firebird. There aren't any of the other cat, like the, the main cast, um, you know, which is something you do with this kind of show. Like every so often you yeah. can serve your budget on an episode, but uh, yeah, it's very linear. Yeah. The characters were good and well fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, you you got exactly what you wanted out yeah. of the money. <laughs> like you don't want that to be money. You don't want there to be money at the end. There. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you you root for Rockford, but in the end, yeah. If he makes like twenty five thousand dollars or whatever, it's like and yeah. the rest of the season is moot because yeah, that's exactly. his annual income. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he ends up. I mean, I guess. You imagine that he ends up uh, billing Jolene for the full amount, unless he feels bad and yeah. <laughs> knocks that twenty five percent off. But he does have a couple a couple traffic tickets to cover, um, plus all that gas. I don't know how far Caledonia is from <laughs> from LA, but a lot of driving. Um, yeah, I think I said it's a very linear episode, and that's not a, a criticism really. It's just more kind of it kind of stands out a little bit because, mm-hmm. especially in the later seasons, we kind of have these more layered or circular or kind of like naughty mysteries and then right. this is very especially until we kind of get to len i'm taking notes and i'm like this one feels a little thin like right stuff right. but it's kind of like this happens and this happens and then it does get more interesting once len shows up and we get more backstory and all that stuff um and i ended up taking kind of my average amount of notes for an episode uh so you know there we go it has the like the those elements where it's more it's less of a mystery and more of a here are a bunch of people in desperate situations mm-hmm. with with a uh promised wad of cash right and like that's what you need rockford for is to help you un- not untangle <laughs> the mystery but untangle the the relationships or to protect you from yeah it's an interesting it's kind of an interesting cast on um um, like a motive like the clash of motivations um i feel like this is something maybe we haven't talked about in a little while but one of the strengths of the show is so often you get these characters that are motivated by things such that they're going to come into conflict because of what they want and what they're willing to do to get it and not because they don't know things right right it's not a it's not a show that relies a lot on like if only they had heard that phone call or like if right. only they talked they could have solve this whole thing right yeah um it, it's much more about the motivations and, and how you solve the conflict and in this case you do have two characters who could solve this just by talking but yes. they are not willing to do so mm-hmm. they have a specific motivation not to share the information with each other and they need rockford to bridge that gap and so that's in that way it's a very uh it kind of stands out as kind of a, a really slick take on the if they'd only talked problem yeah yeah exactly yeah it was fun this episode might get my award for the most the most non-sequitur fun fact in the write-up from uh 30 years of the rockford (laughs) files um i'm quoting here uh we get a little bit about uh standards and practices and things in tv shows that aren't necessarily legal right Mm mm-hmm 
<clears throat> As it happens, NBC's Standards and Practices Department, which monitored the content of every series episode and TV movie for accuracy and or questionable material, did object about the non-use of seatbelts in Caledonia <laughs> and stated its displeasure explicitly in a memo to Roy Huggins. There is no reason why seatbelts should not have been in use. Please inform all concerned that this is a serious matter which will continue to be reviewed. We hope it will not become necessary to edit future scenes because they do not properly support our concern regarding the use of safety belts and harnesses. Wow. <laughs> I honestly cannot recall them using seatbelts in any episode of The Rock Profiles. Right. So well, I... now I'm going to keep an eye out for it. Uh, like maybe we'll see if later season one episodes have it or something. But yeah, I guess because it's such a car centric episode, I guess they are in the car a lot. Yeah. And they're, they're doing some pretty dangerous stuff from time to time. So, yeah. So we'll have to start keeping an eye out and see if that detail comes up. But uh, I didn't know that standards and practices would have such a <laughs> such a, such a thing to say about uh, seatbelt use. Um, but, yeah, this is a very, I'd say overall, this is a very, like, distilled episode. It's Yeah, it just gets it gets going and it just keeps hitting mm-hmm. the beats and 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 moving along yeah it's all good stuff yeah <laughs> i guess jim jim's gonna need to take on another job to cover whatever he has to whatever tickets he has to fi- pay oh, in caledonia <laughs> should have let her pay it well do you have anything else to say about uh caledonia it's worth a fortune no uh it was a fun one it was a good uh good one to come back on I feel like mm-hmm. uh, the pace helped us pull our pace back up, and, <laughs> and we can jump forward into the the second half of all of this, mm-hmm. all this wildness. Yes, I thought I had uh, something more eloquent to say than that, but that's what I had. <laughs> all right. Well, I wouldn't want to force you to continue uh, working on your eloquence or myself, <laughs> for that matter, as that as a tortured sentence. If ever I did say one. Um, So I think that means that we should go ahead and call it here. But we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files.